and welcome to Stationary Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. I'm Justin Twyford, and joined as always by my friend and co-host, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how's Cypress Station today? Uh, Cypress Station is absolutely fine. Our very, very mild winter continues. Don't tell anyone. Uh, so it's been sunny and warm. Grr. Um, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm getting up to play golf early in the morning. Uh, everything's fantastic. How is hot and sunny Canada? Oh, it's about the same as ever. Oh. It's winter. What do you expect? I don't think there's anywhere in Canada that is hot and sunny. But I think there are places that are less cold than we are. That's fine, though. That's good. I'm getting used to it. That's nice. Uh, you're a winter bear now. You sort of hibernate for the winter, really. Mm. Uh, well, the bear thing, uh, my wife uh, certainly agrees to. Uh, grumpy be old bear some days. <laughs> All right, so uh, any follow-up? I, I see something here that I'm kind of curious about. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, follow-up uh, from last week. Um, I'm still, I'm off social um, and and uh, loving every second of it, really. Um, don't miss it at all. Off social, completely gone. That's it. I've blown it up and uh, uh, written my, what have I my, done? my hatred uh, little post to say goodbye. I am leaving. Uh, no, what have I done? What have I done? I have, I've nuked, um, Twitter. So that's just gone. Um, Facebook, you can't nuke. <laughs> you, you, you just say, right, I'm leaving. And they go, all right, well, well, we'll just hang on to it for 30 days until we then pretend not to be hanging on to it. But if you look at Facebook at the corner of your eye, or if one of your friends looks at Facebook and mentions your name, or if you accidentally trip on the pavement and land on Facebook, uh, we will reinstate your account. So um, I've no idea how well that will go. At the moment, I'm just staying away from it. Uh, Instagram, I have, um, I think I've done the, uh, you sort of take me offline, make me invisible uh, while I, I stare at my navel and consider things. So I haven't pressed the full nuke button there, although I suspect I will. Um, one that you mentioned <laughs> in your notes, uh, LinkedIn. I've not done anything with that just because I'm aware that the Central Bank of Cyprus uh, uses it as a reference. I have no idea why they would do that, but uh, they do. Uh, so uh, that's still there, but I did. My renewal came up. I used to be a whatever it was, gold member or super privileged white idiot person or something. Um, and, Somebody who pays too much. Yeah, and had to give them a whole bucket of money so that I could see when people were looking at my profile, uh, which is just madness. But anyway, so uh, yeah, I, I've not nuked that and I probably won't, but um, that's that's gone periods of years when I've not, not looked at it at all. So I suspect it might go through that again. Mm -hmm. uh, but no, I'm not missing it at all. Um, and thus far, uh, I'm, I'm not seeing any sort of Know, negative impact i think there's one aunt mm -hmm. who's a little bit concerned she can't find me um mm. but i dare say she will track me down have you stopped tooting oh yeah mastodon uh yep yeah, nuked and paved that one gone um mm. what else did i shut down i shut down microblog um so i was back on that microblog is, of all of them is, is probably one of the better ones you have to pay for it um all of your content remains yours uh, and it's a, a very sort of privacy first approach. So um, if you're concerned about privacy, but still still want that sort of interaction piece, then I think microblog is probably the place to go. But uh, frankly, um, I, 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 I don't see a place for this stuff in my life. And I'm reading lots and lots of books that are just reinforcing that view. So um, I suppose that's sort of, um, what's that? A, a commitment bias no a preference bias it's a something bias isn't it um confirmation bias that's it i'm, I'm sort of seeing confirmation everywhere i look um mm. you don't do anything by half do you you know you, you, not just i'm gonna stop using it for a little bit let's nuke and pave everything here I, i'm impressed i kind of stopped using a lot of it uh already so facebook i haven't used for a long time um, and I was only only tied into it because of the whole Nero's notes thing. So uh, Nero's uh, 
has a Facebook profile, has an Instagram feed, uh, which as we discussed, I think it's just remind people that we're there. Um, and that's got to be owned and administered by a personal profile. So I had to create a new profile for me uh, that has nothing on it, um, has no friends, has no connections, uh, make that an administrator of the business page and then nuke the old um, personal profile. So wow. they make you jump through the, a hoop or two. Wow. Well, congratulations. I've not quite gone as crazy as you. I've uh, still reduced everything to the bare minimum, but uh, nuke and paving. Wow. I, I'm just so impressed, Stu. Well done. <laughs> it's easy to be impulsive. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how sticky it is, eh? <laughs> Absolutely. I'm just escorting a dog out, the, out of the room. <laughs> she was digging her heels in. She didn't want to go. Um, uh, I suppose that, I mean, the reason I go that way is that if you think through something and, uh, you know, apply a lot of thought to it, then you get to a point where you think, okay, the correct decision, the correct thing for me to do is. And then once you challenge that and think, okay, but what if, but what if, but what if, and you can't find any negatives, then, you know, do it. <laughs> What's the point of thinking it through if, uh, if you're not going to commit to then making the change that you think is best? Mm -hmm. And I think now is probably a good time to do it with everybody sort of looking at their social media. Sure. You know, it's, it's not just you, it's the, the landscape is changing in a lot of ways, I'd say. So definitely you're just, you're just leading the charge away you go. Mm, what, what about you? How's, how's Truckosaurus getting on? Oh, Truckosaurus is uh, fantastic. We did our, our first night. We got it. Oh, we got puppies in the background. <laughs> that's that's spice expressing her opinion of being expelled from the office ah okay uh no our first night that we finally got home after dealership hell um oh my god can they sell and sell and sell and not know when to stop uh warranties and breakdown things and this version of the warranty and that oh it was rough stew it was rough uh, we got home and I was tired, so we didn't do anything. The next day we said, okay, we're going to set it up. Went out, bought some new bed sheets and, you know, it's funny. You buy something like this and it's like outfitting a, an apartment. You need to buy a whole second set of everything from pots and pans right through to uh, beddings. And ugh. anyway, uh, we got home. It was snowing again. So we spent our first night in the truck in the snow. Um, and of course, you know. I found a good use for this the other day. I couldn't sleep. Didn't want to keep Mrs. T awake because, well, we talked about grumpy bears probably in the pre-show. But uh, yeah, I, I went out to sleep in my truck, which is lovely. I've got a nice, oh, it's comfortable. But uh, yeah, you know what? You give someone like me an idiot a new toy and, well, I'll create media for it. I thought a podcast would be kind of eh, pushing it. So I did a YouTubes. Have you ever done the YouTubes thing before, Stu? Um, yeah, there, there is a YouTube channel for, um, I think it's probably pocket notebooks rather than Nero's notes, mm. uh, which is most, mostly me sitting somewhere looking awkward, um, thinking I really don't want to be here. Ah, well, I did one of those. Hopefully I didn't look quite as awkward, but probably do. You know what it's like your first one. Uh, so I did a YouTube's video, special guest stars, Coco the princess. And of course, Mrs. T was in there as well. Uh, it's called beyond your front door. Mrs. T came up with the title and there's a link. It's youtube.com slash at beyond your front door. That's very good. Please like, and subscribe. Cause that's a, that's the thing that the uh, YouTubers say, right? Please like, and subscribe. I kind of get used to saying that. Absolutely. And I'm, I very much enjoyed the, uh, the virgin version, the little, little tour around the truckosaurus. Mm -hmm. That's a big sucker, isn't it? It certainly is with the, with um, a sliding mechanism that dreams are made of. I mean, that sounds like the sort of gates of Mordor. Just, <laughs> it, I'm thinking. It certainly does, doesn't it? WD-40, all of it. Give me all of the WD-40 immediately. Yeah, there's so much uh, maintenance and stuff that one has to figure out, especially when you buy a used one of these, but I just couldn't afford a new one. They're expensive. Oh, but. <sighs> oh, well. 
So, uh, Stu, what's your tool of the week? Uh, my tool of the week, uh, cheating again, uh, rigor. I'm going to say rigor is my tool of the week. Um, obviously spelled with a U because I'm a crazy British person. Um, oh, you saw my complaint down in the show notes, huh? Oh, no, I haven't yet, actually. I'll find that in a minute. Um, I, I started with, with social. So um, as previously discussed, looking at, you know, what am I doing here? Uh, and I thought, well, let me take a look at everything else that I do. Um, I mean, I think a great part of the the problem or the issue that I have with social media is that it's it's so demanding of attention. And I'm increasingly aware of how many demands there are on my attention and how really, really bad I am at choosing the important things to do. So um, I took a really long look at my podcast list and thought, okay, there's there's more than a working week's worth of podcast hours here. So, you know, with the various ones that I follow and get the special feeds and the bonus feeds and all of that. Um, and my thinking has always been, well, you know, I can just listen to that in the background. Uh, this is despite having read a million and one studies explaining that there is no such thing as things in the background. If you're listening to a podcast or watching a YouTube video and trying to do something else. All that happens is that you do all of those activities badly. <laughs> and so I sort of thought, okay, which podcast do I want to listen to if I'm going to commit to listening to it and not doing something else? Um, and that cut the list radically, I have to say. Um, I mean, it may be something to do with the fact that I've always listened to several podcasts that are very similar. Um, and it may be that I'm slightly tired of some of the hosts. I don't know. But it was like, okay, no, bang, that goes, that goes, that goes, that goes. So um, last time I looked, I think I'm down to probably five or six. Um, and oh, they're not all weekly. Some of those are occasional. So uh, there's one or two more that I think will will go back into the list, but um, I'm kind of starting from from zero and building up and going. What do I want to listen to now? Bearing in mind that I have to stop writing or whatever it is I'm doing if I want to listen to. It. Um, yeah. And yeah, just uh, I mean, kind of looking at all of my activities, and and the phrase that I've I've used is you know what is the signal to noise ratio, so how much am I listening to or watching or paying attention to that I really don't need to? And, and the other sort of third leg of this is news. Um, the amount of news that I've been following uh, through podcasts, but also through um, RSS feeds and through social. Um, you know, there were times earlier this year where I probably could have, could have advised uh, I could have been a battlefield advisor for for the conflict in Ukraine. So I was listening to so much and watching so much and reading so much. I'm thinking, what on earth relevance has that got to my life? I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I care passionately. There's a war going on in Europe, and that is that is serious. Stuff that wars that start in Europe tend to get big quickly. Um, and so I, I'm interested. But do I need to be updated every 10 minutes? Probably not. Um, so I'm going back to how I used to look at news, which is I subscribe to The Economist, uh, a magazine with which I agree with some of what it says and quite a lot I don't agree with, but I enjoy reading it. And that's my weekly news source. Um, daily news, I'm guessing Margaret will let me know if there's an earthquake or we have to evacuate or we're going to Mars or something. I don't know. But uh, otherwise, I'm just going to pass. My God, that sounds like my social media intake at the moment. Uh, Mrs. T will let me know if there's anything that I missed that's important. Mm, exactly. It's all good. Um, what about you? What is your tool of the week? Well, I think because we've been talking about this, you and I both have a similar sort of thing. I've been cleaning and deleting. Uh, I, I guess for the last few weeks, I've been sort of doing that. I cleaned up some apps on my Mac. I cleaned up a bunch of time killers, time sinks, attention grabbers on my phone a little while ago. Uh, and I was on some social media. And the one that 
doesn't get a lot of attention. But I had to go to LinkedIn the other day. And when, when one does not go to LinkedIn very often, uh, one realizes just how many little red dots and things wanting your attention. You have all of these things, notifications and messages and attention requests. And uh, so I actually spent 10 minutes looking at it and realized that, well, how many useless connections I have, you know, perhaps recruiters that I spoke to once four five, seven years ago um, that have never bothered talking to me since then that I couldn't tell you who they were. There are other people I don't know, you know, probably trying to sell me something. Uh, so I took a very quick pass and got rid of, well, half of the connections I had. And that was within whew, 10 minutes without even thinking too hard about it. I then have to look at it and say, well, I've got these people that I did spend some time. Oh, you didn't. You didn't. <laughs> we'll talk about that in a minute. <laughs> Uh, Stu is grammar correcting me as we go here. <laughs> oh, <sorry. laughs> uh, anyway, LinkedIn, get rid of your stuff. It's not that important. Do it to everything. Facebook, Twitter, if you're still on there, you know, go through, take a look and say, who am I following? And more importantly, why? Why did these people have my ear? Why did these people have access to me? And you'll probably find you can get rid of most of it. Uh, like Stu on LinkedIn, if I didn't need it for the jobby job thing, I'd probably bin it completely. All right, though. Now, you heard the little interruption of me complaining at Stu. Uh, I, I have, from working on these, uh, the word realize, spelt properly, uh, was getting a little underline on it. And I clicked on it this morning. And it says, this document, which, by the way, is in my Google Docs repository, in Canada, uh, is set to British English and underlying realized spelt Stu's way with an S, uh, is, is it didn't like my with a Z. Um, and I was thinking about this and going, first off, Stu, how did you do this? Second off, should I be passive aggressive and change it back? And how long do you think it would be before we had this unsaid little battle going back and forth, changing language in the document and spelling, uh, which I shouldn't have worried about because as I was talking, Stu started correcting the American spellings and putting them to Cypriot English spelling. So Cypriot English, no such thing, young man. I, I'll tell you what. Look, the uh, the way that you set a Google Doc into British English, I have absolutely no idea. Um, if I have done it, well done me. But I really couldn't tell you how. Um, the I, actually, this is very indicative of the power of technology. I'm conditioned, as I'm sure you are, is that when you see an underline your mouse kind of gravitates to it. Mm -hmm. I, you know, red underline, oh, there we go. And you right-click. And I just right-clicked your uh, realized with a Z. Um, right-clicked, and it said, always correct to realized with an S. I went, yes, that'll do me. I'll have one of those. Thank you very much. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's it. it it's, it's instinctive. I mean, I think everybody does it. You sort of see one of those little underlines and you just automatically gravitate to it and act upon it. Uh, I feel like Pavlov's dog. Mm -hmm. Even worse is that you have done it to the whole document, Stu. Hi. Ay, ay. I, I tell we could, we could have made an entire podcast of us changing this back and forth every time one of us looks at the documents <laughs> and has to, and as Stu said, has to get rid of those annoying little red. Nope. That's spelled correctly. What's going on here? It's, it's quite funny. Uh, I just brought it up because it is such a nerdy first world problem <laughs> that we have. And yet it's still a problem because British English and American English is different. You know, how we spell things is slightly different and how we communicate is slightly different. And Well, you've, you've, you've started something now. Oh, what have I started? Well, I was just thinking that um, generally, I'm a linguist, okay? So I'm I'm happy with the concept that language evolves and I don't get snippy about grammar and stuff like that. Um, it, it really doesn't bother me. But realised and realised, that only really works if you can mentally sort of visualise it, but realised and realised are different words. 
if one evolved from the other, which you'd have to assume is is the case, then there must have been someone, I'm going to guess probably an ancestor of John Syracuse, who, who said, it shouldn't be realized with an S. That makes no sense. I'm going to change it to, to Z or Z, probably. Um, and somebody somewhere in the States made a conscious decision to say, yes, we know it's spelled with an S, but we think it looks better, sounds better, makes more sense with a Z. So we're going to do that. That's why they got rid of all the U's out of color and things like that. Stuart. Exactly. So I'm thinking... Didn't make sense to have color, color, our, color. <laughs> you know, it's somebody, somebody somewhere said, you know what, this just doesn't make sense. Let's change it. So actually, contrary to the sort of popular view, which I'll return to this, that, you know, it's the British who are sort of snippy about all this. It's not. It's the North Americans. <laughs> you've gone we've got this perfect i wasn't snippy until you started changing my show notes i know you weren't i know you weren't but you've got this perfectly good language this is a word that has been used for hundreds of years but what we're going to do is we're going to change it to a phonetic spelling just because we can <laughs> that's essentially what's happening honestly north america get a hold of yourself you've got bigger issues to deal with if you don't mind me saying um although there's a few things we could probably clean up in the UK as well. <laughs> but uh, yes, I'm, I'm, I'm happy with the S and the Z. What I'm not happy with, Justin, and this is a complete tangent, my apologies to everybody. Um, have you watched the television series New Amsterdam? Nope. Okay. Uh, you mentioned it uh, a couple of weeks ago, but I have not uh, even heard of it apart from your recommendation that you and Margaret were watching it. Okay, well, uh, it's about a public hospital in uh, New York. Um, I think it's based on a, a hospital, the Bellevue. Um, somebody correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, and it's a very idealized sort of presentation. Um, this, is, this is so right on, so woke, it's hurt itself. Um, it, it's, it, it really doesn't know which issues to be, to be the most progressive on in which order. Uh, some episodes are jam-packed i mean really jam-packed and okay sometimes it's a bit silly and i laugh but generally speaking it's quite a feel-goody thing now in a plot twist two of our heroes um have moved to london now one of them was brought up in london and has for a couple of seasons been working in the states uh, and she goes back to london and takes hero number two with her because they are romantically linked, ladies and gentlemen. And so we have then this sort of interpretation of the UK. Now, clearly the budget didn't extend to actually filming in the UK. So they have some sort of stock footage. There's, there's more red buses than you could throw a big stick at. Uh, they managed to get a red pillar box into pretty much every shot. and all of the street signage is patently American. So <laughs> first of all, I'm looking at it going, we don't have one-way signs like that. And secondly, we don't have that many pillar boxes. How many pillar boxes can you show? But they've got this, um, this, this interpretation of London and the accents. Oh, heaven help us, the accents. Um, they seem to have got everybody in the States. They've, they've clearly got all the actors together and said, right, okay, we're doing some interviews, just a couple of cameo parts, walk-ons. Right, give me your best British accent. And anything that sounds not American, you're in. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, Americans do an English accent. So, I mean, you've, I, I get it. I get it. Oh, it, I, it, honestly, it had, me, it had me spitting nails at the, the TV yesterday. Uh, but no, generally speaking, I'm all good with the um, North American spellings of things. Um, I only ever correct little things that have been underlined because they, they, the underline just, it just grabs me. It's like some sort of tractor beam. Mm. The underline's wrong because you set the document up, Stu. I don't know how you did that. <laughs> I don't know how I've done that, mate. <laughs> two, two old men fighting over the internet. This is uh, what you get and this is what you pay for. We're going back to Stu's uh, cleaning up your podcast for things that add value into your life. Uh, 
arguing about whether it should be realized or realized it. Uh, yeah, not our finest moment. Let's let's move on, Stu. Please tell me, what do you got for a pen and ink this week? Let's get back to normal. Oh, a pen and ink? Well, I, I've got a new new one in the well, not new, but uh, uh, I have used up my Pelican, the, the Blue Dunes. Uh, so I've got another favorite out. I'm going to replace a favorite with a favorite. Uh, this is the Pilot Custom 823. Uh, this is, um, it's a demonstrator. It's amber, uh, which is brown to you and me. Uh, and I've filled it up with um, a very nice brown ink, which is Bach by Diamine. Uh, there are uh, links in the show notes, as they say in podcasting circles. Um, it's the, the Pilot Custom 823 is a lovely fountain pen. Uh, it writes very smoothly. It's got a great nib. It's got a wonderful filling system, um, big reservoir, and it's a sort of it's uh, the plunger mechanism is just awesome, just full. Um, and it's probably one of the few pens that I fill that doesn't cover me in ink during the process. So, um, a big fan of that. Uh, I've still got my Sailor nineteen eleven is uh, is kind of you know the number two that's running along with it, and. My my little Coeco fine nib, tiny tiny. Uh, that cartridge is laboring on. I mean, I'm just going to open it up now. I think there's not much left, to be honest. Uh, yeah, we're down to maybe the last ooh, 10, 15 percent. So that'll that'll probably probably change next week. And I'll go into another little pocket pen for my my uh, pocket notebook noting. Mm-hmm. What about you? What excitement have you got in the pen lineup? Well, I inked up eight pens over Christmas, and I'm still working on the same ones. However, I just wanted to add some stuff to your Pilot 823 because I have mine inked up. Um, Mine is, I I was actually looking at this the other day. There's a little note, uh, some numbers stamped on Pilot's nibs, uh, which is actually the date of manufacture. Don't know if you knew that, Stu. No. Uh, down at the bottom left of the nib, you can actually see when your pen was manufactured. Uh, and the Pilot 823, mine is from January uh, 17, mm-hmm. I think it is. So it's it's a few years old. Uh, when I was inking it up last time, what I did was actually put a little bit of silicon on. Uh, as you pull it out, there is a... Oh, the plunger. Yeah, yeah. The plunger, that's the word. Uh, and I put just a touch of silicone grease on it. Mm-hmm. And boy, did that uh, send it back to new. You know how you use something regularly? Because the Pilot Custom 823 pretty much lives in my collection. Like I, I generally have it filled with Montblanc Blue Black. It, it's always there. And... It, it just got a little bit, mm. a little bit stiffer, a little bit stiffer. And I hadn't really noticed it until I re-greased it and uh, then filled it. And it is almost like a new pen again. Yeah, yeah. So if you haven't done that, and if yours is old and slow, starts to slow down, it's it's like us. We slow down just a little bit at a time. We don't really notice that we're slowing down. Um, you could do that and you can bring it back to normal. So I thought I'd give a little bit of Fountain Pen Tech 101. No, that's very, very good. I mean, alternatively, you could be like me and make sure that your pen is regularly cleaned and these things don't happen. Um, but no, Justin's right. If you keep it in your rotation and you just keep refilling it, then the pen doesn't get cleaned very often and it does get a little bit stiffer. Good advice. Yeah, it's not even it's not even necessarily the cleaning on it because mine is cleaned quite regularly. You know, it's flushed out and all the rest of that. It's just age. You know, those seals tend to dry up a little bit. Um, it's just one of those things that does add a little bit of life back into it. Cool. But anyway, there we go. Let's let's get into our topic because I don't think we want to fight any more stew. Oh, I don't know. I think it's quite entertaining. <laughs> uh, see how much ends up on the cutting room floor, I guess. <laughs> the Revenge of Analog has digital struck back. This was a topic that you suggested. Um, do you want to lead off the conversation? Sure, yeah. So um, the the phrase uh, Revenge of the Analog comes from uh, a book that was published by journalist David Sachs in 2016. Uh, if you haven't read it, do. It's very good. Um, and he was exploring the sort of resurgence of analog technology in daily life. So he was looking at vinyl, the vinyl resurgence. 
Uh, he was looking at uh, good old fashioned film, you know, people getting out old uh, cameras and using real film and sort of exposing it themselves, you know, getting into photography as it used to be. Um, and of course, something that's very dear to my heart, the, the whole notebook thing. So suddenly everybody had a moleskin in their pocket um, and was, was trying to look windswept and interesting in cafes, writing notes. Um, same year, pocketnotebooks.co.uk, a little website was set up by a couple of likely lads in the northeast of England. Um, and eventually in 2017, it was bought and rebranded to Nero's Notes by me. Um, Field Notes was becoming a thing in the UK. It'd been a thing in the US for a little while. Um, and it was, you know, it was all about the analog. And it was, it's a very interesting book. Um, obviously, Nero's Notes sort of rode that wave um, where each year we would just sell a little bit more as we reached a few more people and um, we extended our range and moved outside of just pocket notebooks and began to look at sort of bigger notebooks and maybe some pencils and perhaps a pen. And, um, and then, I mean, you may have forgotten, but uh, early 2020, uh, kind of the wheels came off the world and we all ended up getting locked into our homes in one way or another. So COVID-19 came. Uh, those that had super fast broadband, broadband, easy for me to say, uh, felt very smug because everything was online. You ordered your food, you takeaway, computer sales were up, uh, entered everything. The world became even more digital. So many started saying, ah, this is the revenge of the digital. It's coming back. Um, and you know, not one to miss out on an opportunity. David Sachs has now released another book oh. where he explores this sort of possibility of the digital comeback. Uh, but he's titled the book, The Future is Analog. So, I mean, I think it's fairly clear where he stands on the whole thing. Um, and I just thought it was interesting. I mean, from a business point of view, uh, I can tell you that that COVID initially uh, was not a negative for Nero's Notes. So our business stayed pretty much static. In fact, we got some growth. Um, what we're seeing now, we're seeing the business struggle. And that's, I think, in part to do with a sort of fatigue around certain brands. Um, in part, it's about some people maybe going, well, I'm maybe not so much interested. But I think most importantly, um, the economy, um, as the famous quote, it's the economy, stupid. Um, people, people are scared. People are hurting for cash. Lots of people are getting laid off. Um, the cost of living crisis. Um, clearly, analog products are predominantly a a luxury purchase, we'll call it. Something you buy because you like. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily expensive, but it's discretionary. Um, you, you can't feed your children with notebooks. Well, I suppose you could, but it'd be a bit cruel. Um, so, it's a bit, bit chewy. Yes, exactly. So, I, Well, I thought I'd get the, uh, the North American and indeed the Twyford view on this. Mm. I started going back to how I got into analog. Well, I mean, I, let's, let's face it. We are men of a certain age. We started with analog. There was no av option for digital. Sure. You know, uh, portable, portable digital, uh, floppy disks. Oh, I, I remember those days. They were painful, still. <laughs> um, I've always been an analog nerd. I remember, I remember getting in trouble. I must have been oh, 12, 13. Uh, my parents used to give me some money for school uh lunches we had a cafeteria at school and, and i was very studious and i've always been good with numbers because you know profession and all that i quickly figured out that if i bought the cheapest thing on the school menu which at that time was a burrito and i drank water instead of pop i had a quarter left that i could feed into the pencil dispensing machine 
and the library. <laughs> and perhaps this was my first ever collection or whatever. Um, and I remember doing this uh, every day, sort of, you know, reducing my caloric intake, living cheap so I could have analog tools um, until my mom found this bundle of pencils in my desk drawer when I, I don't know what it was about English moms back in the 80s, but they like to snoop. And uh, yep, she went snooping and phew, I got in trouble for that. You know, even though there were no specific rules saying I couldn't do it, I was just, you know, I, it, it was a problem. Uh, I think she got rid of all, but I think I've got like three of those pencils left. One of those is a school name pencil from, you know, what would that be, 82, 83. I, I have it. I'm so scared to sharpen it. It's like one of those collector pieces. But anyway, so I had I had this collection of pencils and parents did not like them, but I've always been into stationery. That has changed as well, you know, uh, using computers became a thing, particularly in the professional life. Both tools are available to me. Um, it's complicated because the last little while, I've kind of changed how I view stationary a little bit. Um, the wave of analog, things got popular. Companies, bands for music, brands, they all seek success. Because let's face it, nobody really wants to go into a business being the poor starving underdog. But that success changes the relationship with original fans. Uh, the word selling out may be a little harsh, but I do find that as industries, genres, hobbies, things like analog get bigger and more popular, companies tend to play it much safer because the bets are bigger. They're selling more. They don't want to upset a customer base. And I think that we've got to that point for a lot of the brands that I was passionate about have played it safe for so long that I'm kind of losing that passion. I kind of look at this very analogous to uh, my music enjoyment of the late 80s. Uh, goth was cool to me because it was outside. Nobody else was goth. You, you were one of like three people in the school. We all knew each other who, you know, wore black and makeup and dyed your hair. And that was, you were the odd one. And then all of a sudden somewhere goth became popular and it became the alternative crowd. And all of a sudden everybody started wearing Doc Martens. Whereas, you know, prior to that, nobody wore boots. Mm -hmm. And that community, that music started playing, the music changed to play to the taste of the people that came in later that were a much bigger market and bought more records. That simple. People evolved into what was new. And I sort of didn't, and I didn't enjoy it. And uh, I kind of left me in a bit of a existential crisis, if you like, of, oh, well, I don't want to be goth anymore. What am I going to be? Um, so, you know, apart from the fact I don't wear makeup and, you know, uh, style my hair, what was left of it, or dye it, um, you know, I, st I still love that music. Uh, maybe that's something about music in your, in your teens, but I, it's, it's one of those things that stuck with me. I think it's quite similar to how I view uh, the stationery. Um, particularly how that relationship between stationery and computers is for me. I've doubled down on products I like. I think I use probably more analog now, but there's a lot less variety in it. I've kind of lost that Pokemon mentality of the analog hype. I'd rather have a few key pieces of analog tech that I enjoy and use regularly than a bunch of new things. Part of why I killed off... Uh, my stationery blog a little while ago because I don't just want to buy things and try them 
for the point of writing about that. I'd rather experience what I enjoy. And, and that makes the stuff that made the cut even more important to me, despite the whole digital thing. That's very complicated. I sort of remembered when, when I was thinking about this, Stu's dad's watch. We talked about that, oh, I don't know, 50 episodes ago. Stu's dad had a Rolex, and it was the one thing Stu could identify with his dad. And I'm thinking about that with our own systems and tools. Do we have anything like that? Do we have a pen that's fundamentally ours, especially analog? Uh, do we have a watch like that? Probably not. The one I have is probably going to get replaced in a couple of years. Um, I'm not sure I'm comfortable with the answer to that question. Do I have anything that I could be easily identified with? Stu, long-winded way of saying, how has your relationship with stuff changed? Uh, I, you're right. It's complicated. And as you were speaking, I think... If I sort of put my businessy head on, the it's a mistake to think that those people who were interested in this sort of analog resurgence were interested in the same thing or for the same reasons. They weren't. Um, there was, I, I think, a generational thing where people were um, rediscovering things that they'd loved from childhood like you and i um and yeah i remember as a kid drawing um i used to use rotring pens they were needle nibs um and they were filled with indian ink and if you spilt this stuff ah. it stained it stained concrete forever i mean the permanence of this stuff was horrific but i had this wonderful set that were in a, a big plastic container there were three of them three different line widths you know really really tiny really 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 tiny and stupid stupid tiny and i could draw these intricate maps and i would i would draw out worlds um i suppose for dungeons and dragons but as i was an only child and i didn't know anybody else that played dungeons and dragons i kind of played on my own so i was just creating these worlds uh and those pens um, just as you were talking, the sort of the image of them flashed back to me. I can describe them to you in great detail what they look like. Um, and when I suppose I discovered the the sort of wealth of stationery that was available um, for the second time, there was a lot of nostalgia involved, and uh, that was part. Oh, what are these? And discovery. Oh, yeah. But for a lot of people, it was discovery people who were brought up with, you know, digital tools to the fore, um, suddenly saw field notes and went, oh, wow, that's, that's pretty cool, isn't it? Yeah, you got a little notebook in your pocket. Yeah, I like that idea. Or they picked up a black ring and wrote and went, that's not like the pencils I used to use. That's not what I find in an IKEA. This is, this is really cool. And so there were lots of different reasons that people got into uh, the, the analogue, and I think still are, and... Um, I think like anything else, you know, it will continue. It goes in waves. You're quite right that it's become commoditized in many ways. Um, so there's more brands, more easily available, uh, and more brands have tried to broaden their appeal, as you describe. So um, being niche is great. Being uh, niche when your niche is the mass market, that's really cool. Um, because you, you make a fortune. Mm -hmm. And as you say, those that are in early or those people who are more pure, I was doing air quotes there, um, do, do start getting worried. Um, and I've written a whole sociological thesis on why that happens, um, or I've written about a sociological thesis. A Pierre Bourdieu, I think I've mentioned it before, a book called Distinction, um, goes through all of this stuff. Um, you mean I'm not the first that has this thought? <laughs> no, no. There's, he's done some. He did some amazing work. Um, I think I've spoken about this before around champagne and how um, people had to continue to differentiate themselves. So as champagne became mass market, 
and, and you know, people the likes of you and I could have it, the posh people were very alarmed by, by peasants like us saying, I'll have a glass of champagne. So they, they graduated and, and they only drank vintage champagne, which had not been a thing previously. And then as vintage champagne became available again to you and I, they were, no, not again. So they would only drink certain brands of vintage champagne. And that's why you see certain businesses price themselves high. It's the American Express model, if you like. Make, make yourself so expensive that people think, well, it must be good. Um, anyway. I dive, I, I divest, I diverge. Um, I'm off on a tangent. It seems like that's uh, the theme of today, isn't it? Off on a tangent. Yeah, yes, I'm, I'm c- clearly scattered. It's, it's. There's no social media in my life, so I, I'm thinking more widely. There you go. Confirmation bias again. Um, when it comes to the digital or the analog, I mean, I don't see it as a as a dichotomy. I don't see them as um, opposing. Um, I, I see them as complementary. Uh, my preferred interface, uh, is, is writing. So I like writing things down. Uh, it helps cement them in my memory. It helps me work out what I feel. Uh, I think that's my preferred interface. And there are scientific reasons as to why that might be so the link between your hand and your eye and your brain. Great. I keep a journal. I enjoy writing with a nice fountain pen or even with a not nice fountain pen in a nice book. It's lovely. But the reason that I can do that and not be worried is because I don't have any concerns about storage. Um, I, I throw away my journals mostly. And so for me, it is that act at the time, that act of writing that's important, not what is written. Uh, so that really suits the analog. You know, if there were a, a fire, God forbid, or a flood, and I lost all my notebooks, do you know what? I'd be okay. Wouldn't bother me too much. Um, if I'm taking notes on a lecture, so for the MBA or, or whatever, I want to preserve those notes. I want to be able to find them. Actually, it's quite nice to be able to search them. So digital has a real advantage there. And my my sort of drawback is I don't really like the interface of typing, trying to watch um, a lecture or listen to something and type. It doesn't sit great with me. I'd rather write. And that's where I'm experimenting with, with interfaces like the Remarkable, you know, which is a tablet and you can write freehand and then it will turn it into text. And, you know, it's it's coming. That technology is getting better and better and better and better. But for me, Digital works there because the the real key concern for me is being able to access that that data, that information, those records, um, and archive them and back them up and link them to other things. And so uh, it kind of works for me there. But, you know, I'm very comfortable having both, and I'm very privileged that I can have both. Um, mm-hmm. Where I think I got confused in old 2015 when i suddenly became unemployed because i sold my business was that i thought i was getting into um all sorts of different things different hobbies i wasn't i i think i was getting into collecting Mm. so i you know i went out and bought all the the vinyl that i used to own you know most of the music that i own i've owned about four times in different formats um and I I went out and bought albums from the 80s so that I could have them next to my, you know, my record player. Look it up if you don't know what it is. Um, I, I, I got into notebooks and stationery and started buying more and more of them, so much so that I bought a notebook company. I um, got into pens and thought, oh, yeah, oh, well, I must try one of those. Oh, I better get one of those. And I, oh, I better get one of these. Um, what else? Uh, golf kit. I've, I've got more golf clubs than the PGA Tour um books you know if if it hadn't been for the current mrs Lennon saying if you buy another book i'm going to make you eat it um i would i would be i would be justin-esque i would be surrounded by bookshelves um keyboards lego sets uh <laughs> laptops computer all the, I, it was a collecting thing rather than actually any specific passion i, I only know that now looking back uh, at the time, I didn't know, because at the same time, I was becoming mentally more of a minimalist, 
and and you know thinking okay what is the pen and what is the notebook because that's all i need i can only write with one pen at a time and i'd rather write with my favorite mm. thing is i don't know which my favorite is um and well it depends on the paper and also the ink you know and so i get into all these justifications for why i've got 200 pens sitting in the cabinet next to me but um i think for me it's 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 a bit of a conflict now the the desire to acquire and the desire to curate and to earn uh, to to own these things i think maybe blinded me a little bit um so do i think it's a do i think it's a, it's over that you know digital is now taking over again no i don't um i i think I think people are becoming more aware of the the differences between the analog and the digital, and they're also aware of where they're merging. So if you look at things like the Remarkable and Describe, and there are lots of analog ones as well, um, where you know you're trying to bring in um, that sort of interface of writing with the power of being able to digitize and archive. Uh, those things I think are very very interesting. Um, but I still think that if you're sitting down just wanting to think about, uh, perhaps the more important things in life, I'm not sure you want to do that on a computer. I think there's still something nice about a pen and, and a book for me, maybe not for everyone, but mm -hmm. I, I think there will be. So the, the sort of observation I made to myself as I was wandering through these notes was when I buy a new laptop or a new desktop. Um, I retask the old one or pass it on to someone. It goes, it disappears. Um, when I buy a new pen, it, it sort of just moves in with its friends. You know, rarely would I, would I discard a pen the way I discard a computer. And I think that's something to do with the attachment that we have. Um, I think it's easier to build an attachment to something so tactile, whereas the digital, we're probably, you know, we're probably learning. It is all ones and zeros at the end of the day. Hmm. Do you have any thoughts on how the evolution of computers over the last, well, let's say 10 years or so has impacted this? Because I think analog was becoming a thing when computers are not as connected as they are today. I mean, Google Docs has been around for a while, but uh, as we found out, Google Docs can be finicky if it likes British spellings rather than American spellings. Um, the handoff for Apple has got a lot better. So I could pick something up as long as I'm not using Obsidian on an iPad, on a phone and on my computer. And it's now all together in one place. And that's something that I think has, at least in the, the Apple world, become better and better and better over the last 10 years. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, probably seven, seven years, eight years, realistically, that they've really nailed it down, where it's not just a cloud synchronization, here's a file that we're storing and you're accessing it from multiple sources, but it just, this stuff just works nowadays. That has made the barriers for working with technology less and less. The interfaces, sometimes depending on what you're using, they they work well. They work nicely. Uh, you know, Apple. We complain about breaking stuff. Um, neither one of us is on the Windows, and I I honestly don't know how Windows is for this at the moment. Uh, whether it's it's got that same slickness of just working everywhere um i hate to say it but uh my, my new truck has a entertainment system by microsoft and for some reason because it's a few years old it won't actually connect to my phone because my phone has too many songs on it um so you know the idea that microsoft making anything that is simple and just works the way that apple does is kind of hard for me to believe, but perhaps they've gotten better. I, again, I haven't been in that environment for a long time. Uh, do you think though, the, the increases in computing power, computing speed, computing ease 
have sort of contributed to the shift away from analog? Um, yeah, I mean, I'm not sure there's a shift away from, from analog in, in a sort of, you know, in a global sense. I think for some people, the advances in computers over the last 10 years, computers have become much more personal. Um, so whether that be your, your phone in your pocket, which for many people is their primary device, um, or their, you know, their laptop that goes everywhere, that goes to the coffee shop, that goes to school, that goes to work, um, or whatever device they're, you know, predominantly working on. Um, I think there is so much more power in those machines. And as you say, a sort of seamless connection that they are becoming more of a, a device to which one can become attached. And the thing that probably holds them back is the desperate desire for the shareholders to get more value. So if you look at, I mean, I think, I think Apple, which, you know, both of us use Apple stuff. Apple have been aware of this for a long time and have been moving towards a world where you don't upgrade uh, annually. Uh, sure, we listen to lots of podcasts with people who go, well, it's my job, so I went out and bought another $4,000 computer. Or it's my job and Apple sends me $4,000 computers, which, you know, great, great for them, fantastic. Um, but the reality is that, you know, for me, perhaps it's an age thing, you know, us, us, us men in, in, in our fifties, um, I look at my laptop and think, well, is there anything that this is not going to be able to do in five years? And it's already I don't know, a year and a half old. Um, and I think, no, does that mean I won't want to buy a new one? Uh, well, I'm not sure. Um, and I think that that conflict is, is still it's still interesting to me, you know, why is it I feel comfortable having, uh, I suppose I've got probably five or six high value phantom pens, maybe, maybe more, maybe 10 high value phantom pens. Uh, Margaret, don't listen to that part. <laughs> but I wouldn't have that many uh, laptops. I don't know why that should be. Mm -hmm. um, you know, one supersedes the other, whereas the pens complement each other. Yeah. The other thing is a, you know, you hold on to a fountain pen generally it's going to have, you know, you buy it retail, it will have a dip in value. And then depending on the pen, it may kind of stabilize there. It may actually go up a little bit if it has any collectability to it. A, a computer is a depreciating asset. Yep. You know, you buy it and it just gets older and it goes less and less value. And a lot of our technology is that way. I was looking at some of my camera stuff the other day. And realizing that uh, I saw I saw an ad for my old camera that I paid a large amount of money for. Still works perfectly. I've got it on a tripod sitting in my room so that if I see any interesting birds, I can take pictures of them. But I was looking at that and saying, wow, that had a drop of 95% in value from when it was new 10 years ago. True. Um, and that is, it's just a depreciating, depreciating asset unless you can still use it. It still has value, implicit value to me because I can still use it. It doesn't have all the latest bells and whistles. Um, but I look at technology in a lot of that way and saying it's just depreciating. Ironically, the glass that I have, the lenses for that camera have gone up in value. So because new replacement is more expensive than when I bought them. So, you know, I think that's a bit like the the analog pens you know perhaps they go up in value if you're sitting on some old um uh pencils too some old blackwing they're probably worth more than what we paid for them when we bought them new sure but uh yeah it's it's a very weird collectible market at some point is analog going to go the way of beanie babies and black wings are worth the same as a dollar store pencil who knows but uh, yeah, it's, it's an interesting thought of how this perceived value and I guess, hmm, it's interesting. I'm, I'm not sure I have an answer to that one. No, I mean, I think, you know, for me, the, I have lots of questions that I need to find answers for, for me and this, 
this sort of uh, this show and preparing for it has provoked that um, within me, which is great. It's fantastic for me for for the sort of the larger question of you know the world generally, the the general population. No, I mean I don't think I I think the digital has struck back. Um, I think that's good, um, but I think we've got to a place now where people understand that there's value for the digital, there's value for the analog. Um, it's a much more balanced picture than perhaps it was when digital first sort of flooded the workplace. Um, and, you know, the paperless office, we must all have the paperless office. And, be, you know, uh, Max Parkey wrote field guides on how to have a paperless office and all of that stuff. Um, I think the pendulum has swung back now. And even people who work in a very digital world, um, they still print important stuff out. They put it in a file. Um, so just as old ones. <laughs> no, I think some youngsters do it too. Um, but yeah, there's there's a definite sort of balance there, and it's it's also a personal preference thing. Um, but you know, I, I don't think Mont Blanc um, or Pelican or Pilot are, are panicking. I think they they know they're going to be selling, um, and by 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 the same token, the you know the top three of the top five companies in the world sell computers or computer software. So mm. I'm, I'm guessing, I'm guessing everybody's going to be okay. Yeah. I think it's just a question of finding that balance, which I guess leads to my takeaway from this is looking, looking at this, the balance of analog and the balance of digital. I just realized you can never catch them all hold dear the pieces that spark joy, whether that's analog, whether that's uh, digital, just look at what you're using and see, is it something that means something special to you? If typing on your clicky keyboard does it for you, hold dear that clicky keyboard. If it's a beautiful Pilot 823 that Stu and I both uh, seem to like at the same time, you know, hold that dear as well. Just Pick the things that spark spark joy. Stu, you got any takeaways from thoughts and discussions on this topic? Uh, yeah, I mean, uh, I guess it's it's the age-old lesson that everybody will hear and ignore. Um, the words on the page are more important than the paper, the ink, the, the pen, or the chip and the keyboard, you know, however you're getting it there. Um, it, it's all about the work. It's not the tools. Very smart. And I completely agree. All right, Stu, seeing as you've nuked all your socials, <laughs> where can people go if they want to find you? Uh, well, you can find me at stuartlennon.com. Uh, it's my website where uh, I, I put up a couple of uh, pieces a week, hopefully more going forward. Who knows? Um, you can become a member there if you want to see the, uh, the novel as it takes shape. Uh, although if, as we record, I'm a day behind. I'm, I'm, I'm a day behind my I was post. about to say, wasn't I supposed to get one of those this morning? Yeah, no, uh, Sean, Sean has been a bit problematic this morning. Well, actually, it wasn't Sean's fault um, in, in a little bit of biograph biographical data. Um, have you heard of Huel, Justin? Huel? Huel? Huel, yes. No, it's, I don't think so. It's, it's, a, it's a contraction of human fuel. So it's uh, food, meal replacement, plant-based, I hasten to add. Um, and uh, folk use it for sort of convenient meals. So uh, Margaret and I are experimenting with maybe having a, a Huel drink. It's a powder, you add water, and you've got an instant meal of 400 calories with all of the right nutrients and all that good jazz. Uh, so I thought, yeah, okay, we'll give that a go. We're both trying to lose weight, get a bit fitter. The Cyprus is serviced by the UK. Okay, all right, fine. I thought that was fine. And my order... Um, my my order was sent to me by FedEx, and FedEx won't deliver to my house. So I then had to drive into Limassol to go and get my package. And anyway, it's very complicated. But for that reason, I didn't get to write my my piece today. Um, and if you want to get in touch with me directly, then please do send me an email at hello at stuartlennon.com, um, and I'll get it. You can also leave me a message on the socials if you can find me there. Uh, I may or may not see it. So that's probably not a great approach. Or you could email Justin and I at stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. 
What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? At the moment, you can find me surfing the internet for the correct fuel. I think you have it uh, now. Nutritionally so. complete food. There you go. All right. Uh, weird. I've never heard of that stuff before. Is that a bit like uh, Soylent that came out around, I don't know, seven, eight years ago? Uh, could be. I'm not an expert. Uh, could be. It's like I say, the idea is that you, you sort of, uh, it's, it's, it's kind of thoughtless food. So look at it as fuel and say, you know, I want 400 calories. That's really good for me. Um, and yeah, if it tastes of cookies and cream, that's, that's great too. Um, and I could just mix it up in the morning, put it in my bag and boosh, you know, it's, it's, it's easy. Uh, cause the danger for me, well, again, <laughs> the show of tangents, um, the danger for me when it comes to dieting is that when I'm working, I am literally beneath my kitchen. And as I wander up there, I go, oh, well, maybe I'll just have that. And if I start preparing a lunch for one, it's, oh, I'll have a bit of this. And maybe I'll just have a bit of that. And oh, well, well. and before you know it, I'm, I'm eating like a thousand calories for lunch, mm -hmm. which probably explains why I have my own zip code. <laughs> All right. Uh, I, I put a link for Soylent in there. Uh, Soylent, I just love the product name because uh, Soylent Green is people. I don't know if you remember that book from years ago. Anyway, we're, we're completely off topic. Let's get back <laughs> on. Uh, you can find me at justintwyford.com. You can find me on YouTube. Uh, please like and subscribe because, yes. It's a good video. You, should, uh, you will enjoy that, folks. Go and see it. It is fun. Uh, link is in the show notes. Uh, please uh, send us uh, your feedback. Our next uh, topic is going to be on agenda and note plan digital planning for 2023 which i think weirdly will tie in pretty well with this and probably give us a whole bunch of new tangents to go off on <laughs> splendid all right until next time goodbye and stay productive yes